0: Well, good morning. If we haven't met yet, you saw my giant picture on the screen there, as embarrassing as that is. But my name's Andy. I'm the children's director here, and it's my privilege to share God's word with you this morning. Before we get started, we just want to let you know that though we're wrapping up a series this week, we are going to be starting a new one next week, and that's in the book of Malachi. We're calling the series Return to Me. Um, Is there something I need to do to make that not black? Okay. All right. Well, I, I won't worry about it. So it's called Return to Me. So we're going to hear what God has to say to the, the Israelites through the prophet Malachi, and then we'll see what he has to say to us today as well. So um, for six weeks now, we've been working through the parables, the seven kingdom parables in Matthew 13. And this morning, I've been given the privilege of wrapping things up and looking at a pair of those parables. And they're not long, so I figured we could just read them all together. So we're going to have them up on the screen here, and let's read those, starting uh, from Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and bought that field again the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls when he found one of great value he went away and sold everything he had and bought it let's pray together our father in heaven we thank you for the privilege of worshiping you today as a church family we thank you for A warm building to meet in. A dry building out of the weather. Father, it's so comfortable to worship here in our country. To have the freedom to do so. And we think of brothers and sisters around the globe. They have to meet in homes or meet in out of the way places so that they're not seen. For our persecuted brothers and sisters this morning, Father, we we think of the privilege that we have to worship in the open. To have copies of your word in our language. To hear So, Father, may we not uh, neglect that privilege. May we, with open hearts and minds, hear what you have to say to us from your word and be ready, like those disciples, to leave all behind and follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Back in 2001, there was a metal detectorist. Apparently that's what they're called named Cliff Bradshaw, who was doing some metal detectoring on a a farm called Ringlewood Farm. This was over in England near the town of Sandwich, which if ever a town was named that I would enjoy, Sandwich is it. Now, Cliff didn't own the land, but he had gotten permission from the farmer to do some metal detectoring and going around. And so he got a little beep from his detector and he did a little digging and he dug and he pulled out a metal cup that looked like it had been run over, by some farming equipment. So here's a, here's a picture of what that cup looked like. Cliff said that he could immediately see that it was gold, obviously, and that it was old. And he suspected it was probably something pretty special. And he put it in the seat next to him as he drove his truck home. But it, it wasn't until the next week that he had sent off some photos to an expert that they confirmed that his suspicions were correct, that this was old. This was very old. This was from the year between 1500 and 1700 BC. So what that meant is this cup shared the earth probably with Moses and maybe all the way back to Jacob. So eventually the Ringlemere cup, which is what they named it, was purchased by the British Museum for $525,000, which Cliff split with the farm owner. And so when he was asked about it, Cliff was saying that was not a bad day's work. Next here we have something called the giga pearl, which is one of the largest natural pearls in the world. It weighs in around 60 pounds. And you can see here the owner had a uh, a gold leaf um, octopus to hold it and to show it off. We have another picture here so you can get the scale because you can't really see just how big that thing is. And you see the gigantic vault it's kept behind. As the owner of this pearl states, his grandfather, many years ago, gave his aunt a giant clam. And it was one of those giant clams that like looks like from the Little Mermaid that you would make a, a bath out of, or you would put in your garden. Some of those like a bird bath. No, no, hopefully not a real bath. <laughs> and the clam he brought home just so happened to have the world's largest pearl inside. And one article estimates that the value of this pearl is between sixty and two hundred million dollars. So this morning we have two parables to look at, but really these parables. They are an inseparable pair. They are twin tails that are pointing us to the same idea. And it has been said a whole bunch of times during this series, and I hope one of the things you take away from it, from this series is, is this thing, is that when Jesus uses parables, he uses them for a couple reasons. Jesus spoke in, in parables to conceal and to reveal. Jesus' stories con- concealed the truth from some of those casual onlookers in the crowd, but it, it revealed the truth to his disciples. And this is true of most of the parables we've looked at so far in this series, the parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and the tares, and the parable of the mustard seed. But in verse 36, we go on to read, Then he, that's Jesus, left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him. So unlike these other parables where Jesus has spoken spoken those parables in front of big crowds and probably a bunch of people who want to see him do signs and wonders. These parables were spoken in a house with Jesus and his disciples. So we can, based on that fact, we can probably guess that it's less concealing that he wants to do here and more revealing. Now, a quick, for a quick moment, let's take a, a look at the background of a couple of these parables. We're going to start with the first one here, the kingdom of the buried treasure. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. So in our time and place where we're thousands of years away, we are thousands of miles away from the telling of these two parables, there are a lot of luxuries that we take for granted. For instance, we have well-guarded and federally insured banks in which to keep our wealth safe from intruders. We can rest comfortably at night knowing that our retirement nest eggs are locked away behind these vaults that thieves cannot access. But obviously, this this wasn't the case 2,000 years ago. There was no First Bank of Jerusalem or Lake Galilee Credit Union with unbreakable vaults for the average Joe and Jane to store their valuables. You had to keep them with you in your home. And if a thief broke in, he could literally make off with all that you had. Even worse, there was the, the constant threat of invading armies marching in, taking over your land, taking everything you own. In that situation, knowing that war was coming, one thing you could do would be to take your valuables, dig a hole somewhere in your land, completely unmarked, cover it up, and hope that it would stay there safe so that one day maybe your country would take the land back and you could go get those treasures again. Or maybe you could sneak off in the middle of the night and come get them when you're not being chased by an enemy army. But of course, some of those people who buried that treasure, they didn't survive the invasion. And so that treasure lay there buried for years and that, that land could be sold many, many times. And the landowners had no idea that there was treasure buried in their field. And so you could have an instance like this where a, a man is out in a field. It's a field he doesn't own. He's working for someone. And maybe he's, he's plowing the crops to, to prepare for planting. Or maybe he's trying to dig a well. And lo and behold, when he puts that shovel in the ground, he hears a noise. And he finds treasure, long forgotten treasure that was buried years or decades Maybe even centuries before. Now, just in case you're worried about the ethics of a man who would find a treasure in a field that didn't belong to him, cover it up, and then go buy that field without uh, telling the guy about it, a couple points need to be made. First, this is a parable. So, there was no real man. There was no real field. There was no real treasure. The man who sold his field was no more real than the chicken that crosses the road in the jokes that we tell but if you're still worried about that fictional field owner, if the priceless treasure that was found actually belonged to him, then he would have known about it, and he wouldn't have sold the field without first digging that treasure up. But once again, he's not a real guy. We don't need to get lost in those details here, but just in case you were worried about that guy, I didn't want you to uh, feel too bad for him. Now, in, this, in the second parable, we read here that, the, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant searching for fine pearls. One commenter I read said in Jesus' time, pearls were, quote, fabulously priced, far beyond the purchasing power of the average person. Only the rich could afford them. When Jesus wanted to talk about the precious value of the gospel in Matthew 7, he says this, Do not throw your pearls to pigs. And then John, in in describing the vision of the the heavenly city of the New Jerusalem, he says this, The twelve gates were twelve pearls, Each gate made of a single pearl. In case you've ever wondered why we talk about heaven as the pearly gates, well, well, there you go. Those must have been much bigger than the giga pearl if you're going to make a whole gate out of them. But when you wanted to compare something to something precious, to a gemstone, in Jesus' day, it was pearls. Those were the things you chose. Today, it's more likely diamonds for us. So perhaps if he lived back then, Neil Diamond would have been Neil Pearl. I don't know. We'll have to ask him. However, pearls still hold their value in our hearts and minds. In fact, in honor of this this, this thing, I asked my wife to wear the uh, freshwater genuine pearl necklace that I got her a couple days back, or a couple days back, a couple years back on Valentine's Day. So, So when you look at these two parables, it's pretty clear to see that they are meant to be a pair. They are a pair of parables. And this pair of parables has a lot in common. They both involve men finding treasure that far surpasses anything they've ever found. And both men rush out to sell everything they own to possess that treasure. So these parables, they're twins. But that doesn't mean they're exactly the same. They are twins, yes, just like my daughters. They are twins. But they're not exactly the same. If you offer them a piece of bacon, only one of them is going to take it. So I'll let you find out after the service who you're In the first parable, we have a man who just finds treasure. He's not looking for it. He's out there digging, and he just, by, for lack of a better word, a sheer stroke of luck, he strikes gold. But in the second, we have a merchant who's on this quest, who's on a hunt for fine pearls. And in that search, he locates the pearl he's been looking for his entire life. So we have one man who's searching diligently for treasure. We have another man who just accidentally, seemingly happens upon treasure. Now, by no means is this subtle difference the, the main point of the parable, but it's worth stopping to notice what that teaches us. And that's that we don't all discover the kingdom in the same way. Now, notice that I didn't say we don't all enter the kingdom in the same way, because we do all enter the kingdom in the same way. There's only one way into God's kingdom. Jesus says, I am the gate, I am the door. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the kingdom of Jesus' father but through him. God's kingdom has one entrance and we all enter it the same way, but we don't all arrive at the entrance the same way. Like the man in the first parable who was out digging in a field and just randomly discovered treasure, some of us encounter the good news of God's kingdom when we're not looking for it. And it seems like a totally random fashion, although we know that with our God nothing is random. Others of us, our stories more like a, search, a merchant in search of fine pearls. We were on a search for answers, for meaning, for forgiveness or peace. And we encountered all sorts of different pearls of wisdom that seemed like the answer to our problem. But by God's grace, our search led us to one pearl of great value, the gospel, the good news, that forgiveness and eternal life and peace can be found only in Jesus. So we don't, we don't all discover the kingdom in the same way. I think that parable is showing us this, but I don't think that's the the main point that Jesus wants us to take home from this. The thing that he was communicating to those disciples as they sat in that house with him 2,000 years ago. I think the main point of this parable is pretty obvious, and that's this. God's kingdom is a treasure beyond compare. Jesus wanted his disciples to know that no amount of wealth we could exchange, no price we could pay, would be too much For God's kingdom. No matter how much we spent, no matter how much we forked over, we would, at the end of the day, be getting the way better end of the deal. Now, the men in the parable, they they didn't exist. It was just a story. But we see this parable played out in reality in the words of a very real man, and that is Paul. Paul writes in Philippians 3, which we read earlier, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom, whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. For Paul, the, the, compared to the treasure of knowing Jesus Christ, all things are, as he says here, garbage. They're trash. They're worthless. If you have your old King James Bible, do you know what Paul says? He calls them dung. So for Paul here, everything else compared to Jesus is like what my dog leaves when we go out for a walk. That is how big the gap is between Christ and everything else. To so Paul, the kingdom of God, knowing Christ was like finding treasure buried in a field, worth joyfully selling all he had to possess it. Like a merchant examining a fine pearl, Paul saw the beauty of God's kingdom and was willing to trade everything for it. Perhaps it would do well for us this morning to emulate that pearl merchant here, to examine the jewel that is God's kingdom, to inspect it from all angles, to take in its full beauty and admire it in wonder. In the jewel of God's kingdom, what do we see? We see the forgiveness of our sins. We see freedom from guilt. We see salvation from an eternity in hell. We see peace with God, adoption into his family, communion with his saints. We see an internal inheritance that no thief could ever break in and steal that no moth or rust can destroy. We see the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us. We see the fruit that that Holy Spirit grows in us. We see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We see peace that passes understanding. We see hope that doesn't disappoint. And we find a love that nothing can ever separate us from. We see a future worth waiting for in a perfect body, on a perfect planet, with a perfect family enjoying a perfect kingdom led by a perfect king at whose right hand are pleasures forevermore. From the words of Jesus from the life of Paul, we see that God's kingdom is a treasure beyond compare. It's a flawless jewel, and every angle reveals hidden beauty that we haven't seen before. And yet, owning such a treasure comes at a great cost. As any businessman will tell you, something is only worth but someone is willing to pay for it. This painting we have here, I'm not going to try to pronounce it in French, but by Claude Monet, it's called Water Lily Pond. And Monet happens to be my wife's favorite painter, so that's why I picked this. Now, what would you be willing to pay for this, back? Well, why don't you think about that, and maybe you can find here. So, <laughs> according to Russian and Emirati billionaire, his name is Andre Melnichenko, this painting was worth, of your 2023 dollars. So I don't know about you, but I'd rather pay about 30 bucks for a print of this. Um, But to him, it was worth $109.5 million. We learn the value of a treasure and what someone is willing to pay for it. So in, in these two parables, what are people willing to pay for the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus tells us here. It says, the kingdom of heaven was like a treasure hidden in the field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, next slide here. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought that field. Now, if you look up Andrei Melnichenko's Wikipedia page, He's still listed as a billionaire. He paid $109.5 million for that painting. But that wasn't all he had. He did not fork over everything, he did not empty out his bank accounts to get that water lily pond painting. But both men in these parables, when they found the treasure they were looking for, they sold everything they had to get their hands on it. Not only that, in the first parable, it says that man went in joy. In joy, he forked over everything he had to get that treasure. These men, it wasn't like on Pawn Stars where they're trying to haggle and and get a good price. They made a beeline to their bank and they emptied out their checking account and their savings account, their money market account, their retirement, their 401k, and probably all the change in their couch cushions. And they took all that and they rushed in order to buy that treasure Before anyone else could take it. Can you imagine liquidating all your assets to take all you have in the world? Smiling ear to ear with excitement the whole time to pay that much. If we have trouble imagining that, that's a sign that we don't truly see the treasure that God's kingdom is. In our Bibles, we find example after example after example of people discovering the kingdom of God And immediately leaving it all behind them. I'm going to read a whole bunch of of passages here. We have Peter and Andrew. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. We have James and John. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. John called them, and immediately they left their boat and father and followed him. I imagine old Zebedee there thinking, hey, boys, don't, don't you want to take a second to think about this? Are you just going to leave me here? And then we see here Levi or Matthew. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now if we go 800 years further into the past, we see Elisha. Elisha was plowing with 12 yokes of oxen. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Elisha, I know those names sound similar. There's a J and an S, Uh, follow along. Elisha left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. And then we go even farther back in time. We have Moses. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. As we said, we see the value of treasure and what someone is willing to pay for it. Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they left their nets, their boats, all their livelihoods, their father, their mother. They left them behind. Matthew. Abandoned a tax collector's fortune. Elisha, he burned his plow. He barbecued his animals. Moses traded power and prestige and luxury. All for the sake of Christ. Because it was of greater value than all the treasures of Egypt. When these men uncovered that buried treasure of God's kingdom hidden in the field. When they saw the priceless pearl, they got, gladly traded everything to possess it. The value of a treasure is seen in what someone is willing to pay for it. And for men, these, there was no price too high. So we see God's kingdom, it's a treasure beyond compare. That's the main point of these parables. But I don't think that's all that Jesus wants them to take away. I think it's also clear that following Jesus will cost you everything. Now, right off the bat, I don't want you to leave this morning thinking that your salvation, being saved from your sins, your eternal destiny, depends on the fact of you emptying out your bank account and uh, putting it on the offering plate. The good news of the kingdom is that Jesus the Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That he paid our debt in full on the cross. He cried out, it is finished. And he raised himself back to life to prove that his words were true. The good news of the kingdom is that Jesus has paid everything that needed to be paid. That Jesus did everything that needed to be done to secure our salvation, to earn our entrance into the kingdom. There's no amount of good deeds we can do, no amount of treasures we can sell. Although you could try to put that in the offering plate, we will not complain. But none of that is going to earn your way into God's kingdom. Ephesians makes it clear. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. As the old hymn says, Jesus paid it all. We don't throw in anything to foot the bill of our sin. But if you're familiar with that hymn, Jesus paid it all. What's the next line? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Remember to whom Jesus is speaking this parable. He's not out in in front of a crowd of non-committed people hoping to see some sort of sign or wonder. He's away in a house with his disciples. Men who've abandoned their boats and their nets. Who've left riches and homes and friends and fathers. And mothers and comfort behind to follow him. These men, they were the ones who had already found treasure hidden in a field. Who had happened upon a pearl of great price. These are the men who have already sold it all to possess that kingdom. They've pushed all their chips in. They've put all their eggs in one basket for the privilege of following Jesus. God's kingdom had already cost these men So much. But Jesus that morning, or that, I guess we don't know what time it was. Uh, Jesus that day, he was the all-knowing son of God. He knew what the future had in store for them. He knew that these disciples were going to be dragged before courts on trumped-up charges. They would be thrown into prison. He knew they would be beaten and bruised and some of them burned. He knew that Peter himself would one day be led away to die on a cross of his own. The Bible does not record what happened to all of these apostles. But history tells us that all of them would endure intense persecution. And out of the twelve, only John had the privilege of dying an old man. With these parables of treasure and pearl, Jesus was letting his disciples know. It's worth it. The kingdom of God is a treasure, my disciples. You've left so much behind to follow me. You've lost so many things to be my disciple. And though it breaks my heart, you're going to lose so much more. But it's worth it. The kingdom of God is a treasure. It doesn't matter the struggles you face, the pain you will endure, the deaths you're going to die. In the end, they're not even worth comparing to the glory and to the joy and to the pleasures you're going to experience in my forever kingdom when I return to make all of this new. The disciples in the house that day, they've all gone home to their reward. In faith and in hope, they endured suffering and hardship and trials and pain and the treasure of the kingdom that they beheld dimly on this earth. They now see with unveiled eyes. They see its beauty, its wonder, and its glory as their souls have gone to be with our Lord. And 2,000 years have gone by since. But Jesus' call to his disciples is the same to us today. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. In the kingdom of God, we find hidden treasure. We find a priceless pearl that is going to cost us everything. Giving up everything for the sake of the gospel is not something that earns us salvation. Instead, it's the happy consequence of someone who has found treasure in the kingdom of Jesus. And though we give it all, we gain it all. In losing our lives, we find them. In the kingdom of heaven, we find a king who has paid everything for us, who has given us everything, and it's our joy and our privilege to give him all we have. Jesus is worthy of all of us. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. He deserves our head, shoulders, Knees and toes, eyes, ears, mouths, noses, our homes, our time, our money, our 401ks, our smartphones, our jobs, our families, every inch of our yards, every atom in our bodies, every thought in our minds. For those of us who have found treasure in Christ, we lay it all at his feet and we say, what would you have me do with this? Where would you have me go? Brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. In the kingdom of Jesus, you have treasure beyond value. You are rich beyond your wildest dreams. You are princes and princesses in the greatest kingdom in the history of the world. You can empty your bank account this morning and still be wealthier than anyone who has ever lived because you have an eternal inheritance that can never be exhausted. By way of a specific example, that may seem silly. To my kids, especially my teenagers, I want you to know, yes, we drive a 2008 Honda Odyssey with over a quarter of a million miles on it. I know it's loud and it's bumpy and a whole bunch of the doors don't work. And you know what? Your mother and I are doing our best to save up and Lord willing We'll replace that van someday. But hear me out. If the Lord doesn't seem fit to provide that way, if he has us drive that beast until none of the doors open, and the only way to get in the car is to hop in through the window, if we have to drive that thing until all the wheels fall off, until the engine explodes, know this. We are richer than anyone. We possess an eternal kingdom, an eternal inheritance, that no one can ever take away from us. We know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And when our king comes again in the clouds, when Jesus comes to make all things new, when we see him face to face and worship him together in that kingdom, we're going to thank him for that privilege of driving that hunk of junk. And you know what? We're going to say, Jesus, we would not have had it any other way. So as we close this morning, a couple of questions. First, for those of you who take the name of Jesus, what would people say you treasure the most? Imagine if an outsider was given a 24-7 live stream of your life. If they were given full access to your bank statements, to your social media profiles, to the shows and movies you watch, to the books you read, to your internet browsing history, what would they say is your treasure? Would they see someone who treats the kingdom of God as treasure buried in a field, as a priceless pearl beyond value, by the testimony of your life, would they see someone whose treasure is Christ? If not, what does that say? What needs to change? If the value of something is in what someone is willing to pay for it, what are we saying when we give nothing, when we're willing to sacrifice nothing? Now, for those of you who are here this morning that don't name the name of Christ, I don't have a question for you. I have this. Seize the treasure. Most of us are familiar with that Latin phrase, carpe diem. That means seize the day. Well, I want to make a new Latin phrase for you to learn this morning. Carpe thesaurum. Seize the treasure. If you're with us here this morning, you're here for a reason. If you've been searching for answers... Like a merchant in search of fine pearls? Well, this morning, I tell you, you found it. Or perhaps you're someone who doesn't even know why you're here. You have no idea why you ended up here. I tell you, this morning, you have stumbled upon treasure that is priceless. Seize that treasure. The kingdom of God is a treasure. Carpe thesaurum. Seize the treasure. Believe the gospel. Now, because I'm the children's director here, I'll explain it this way, in the way that I share the gospel with our kids. And so we have six little statements we say. And we have verses to go along with them, but I'm already going too long. God is our maker and king. We are all sinners who have disobeyed God our king. The pay for sin is death. God loved the world and sent his son to save sinners. Jesus died to pay for our sins and rose from the dead if we trust in Jesus as our King and Savior we'll live forever with Him the truth here it's simple the kingdom here is priceless seize it this morning carpe thesorum let's pray together Our Father in Heaven, I can't honestly speak these words this morning and think that if someone looked at my life, they would see all sorts of other things that I treasure. Comfort and luxury, rest, approval from others. Father, may we who believe in Jesus live lives fully sold out to Him, We see the examples of our first brothers and sisters thousands of years ago who endured such suffering and shame for the sake of the gospel. Father, show us in our lives, what can we give to you? What have you given us that you would have us use for the sake of others? We think of our persecuted brothers and sisters this morning. We pray that you would give them the strength to continue on. But Father, may we who are so privileged here in the West use that privilege that treasure that we have, to serve the greatest treasure of all, the kingdom of God. And Father, I pray for those of who, who are here with us this morning that don't claim you as their Savior, that like all of us in this room would stand before you condemned because of our sin. Father, move in their hearts. Help them see that there is nothing they can do to save themselves. Draw them to you to see treasure in the God that loved the world so much he gave his only Son, To die for our sins, to rise from the dead, and to offer freely anyone who would believe in him and follow him as king, forgiveness, adoption, an eternal treasure that can never be taken away. We thank you and praise you in the name of your son, Jesus, and everybody said